Hi, I'm Farah. I'm Sophie. And you're listening to Minority Retort. Today, we're talking about Inside Out, the new Pixar film just released this year. Just a spoiler alert, we assume that you've watched the movies that we talk about because we spoil all the major plot details. So if you haven't watched Inside Out and would like to, come back to us later. So uh, Inside Out is the newest release from Pixar Studios, uh, and it brings the emotions inside our heads to life, namely joy, sadness, anger, disgust, and fear. We are introduced to the emotions of Riley, an 11-year-old from the American Midwest, and we start to see what happens when joy and sadness are booted out of Riley's brain's headquarters and have to find their way back before it's too late. We could add to that that this all happens when she moves with a family to San Francisco. That's the impetus for the whole shenanigans. I guess the theory behind it is she starts to experience all these weird emotions, and the emotions inside her head are like, whoa, like, how do we deal with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what did you think of it? Um, well, just like everybody basically who's watched this movie I thought it was really incredible visually it was really beautiful and then the storyline was so uh, it actually had some really interesting theories about the way we process emotions and the roles they play in our lives that even afterwards you know in conversations we kept talking about like oh at this moment I guess it's like joy and sadness that's taking over my brain and I was listening to another podcast and and someone was mentioning that a critic somewhere had written about the fact that from now on people will be talking about emotion as these balls that, that are basically used to store different types of emotion in the movie. It's true. It is a nice way to, to sort of simplify it. Yeah, and I think, well, we stayed throughout the entire credits, and I think they actually did consult with people who worked in mind and brain institutes to get that right. somewhat correct. So one of the things I want to talk about regarding the film is how we can relate to the framework around emotions and the way they've deconstructed the way our emotional processes work. I mean, what right. did you think? The thing about Pixar is that they're, they're very good at taking things that are possibly quite complex and and ripping everything off and making them very skeletal and very schematized. And when I first heard about this movie, I was very curious about, you've got these five emotions. Why is it that four of them are what you'd consider negative emotions? I think the movie is trying to say that sadness and joy and fear and disgust and anger, they can't be broken down into these simplicities in a way, which is almost kind of tackling what the movie's, the, 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 the mode the movie's taken. You know, it's taken this, these, this complex thing called emotions, it's broken them down into these five parts, but at the end, it says, well, sure, we can do that, but it's not really the way it should be. Let's make them more you know, integrated. Let's make them work as one. At the end of the movie, the balls that store memory move from being one color to variegated, to multiple colors, meaning that rather than having one ball for joy, one ball for anger, there's a ball that contains all four, all five of them together. I thought the theory behind the emotions in the movie was that when you're younger, you don't have these complex emotions and exactly then right. you have to go through some sort of process through which you start to have them it's funny you say that because what was your feeling of the way the core emotions were portrayed in the parents heads well that's one of the things that i found really puzzling about this movie i think they did such a great yeah. and nuanced job of yeah. all the emotions in riley's head but I felt when they got into the brains of the parents, it was almost like a completely different movie. Like, it was just based on these really gendered stereotypes that were right. also just kind of exhausted. Like, we get that the, the, <laughs> yeah, the dad is like, what, what happens with the dad? Like he's, sports? He's yeah, just yeah, yeah, sports he's just watching sports and the mother is fantasizing about some Latino guy. Which again, <laughs> I was just like, oh, that's not that's not really funny. And, and what was really funny is that the... What was it like the teacher or somebody else at the in the as right, the credits right, were rolling right. had yeah, the same was, yeah, fantasy? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I didn't think about it much, but maybe there's something to think about there. It was just strange because it was yeah. such a great nuanced movie, but 
there were times um, when we were in other people's heads that all that nuance kind of went out of the window. I thought it was interesting, though, that anger ruled the father's emotions and sadness ruled the mother's exactly. emotions. Exactly. I know. Why do you think that is? You could kind of deconstruct the movie and look at the theories of what they're actually saying about the way we process emotions. And I think yeah. what they're actually saying is joy is the principal emotion of Riley's life. And sadness is the principal emotion of her mother's life and, and mm. anger, I guess, for the dad. But these can be expressed in such a huge and kind of wonderful variety of ways. It's interesting that they chose to um, show somebody who was mostly characterized by Joy. She was the most sympathetic character through which to explore these kind of um, movements and emotions. And maybe if we'd met somebody who was more sort of disposed to sadness, it would it would have been a very different movie. Maybe that person would have to discover what Joy can bring into your life. Tell me something. Do you think that this movie is saying anything at all about a possible cultural hierarchy of emotion. Well, I can remember that moment where Joy draws a circle and says sadness. Try try to keep all the sadness within this circle, which is quite funny. My feeling is that it says emotions should not, there should should be no hierarchy, despite one being more pleasurable, that they all are expressions and they all have a, a legitimate and rational root in the brain and that they all together have some part to play in the way someone develops and the way someone someone's worldview develops. If we were going to unparse the theory behind the movie, I would have been interested to see how all those emotions play together. So how is ang- when is anger important? When is disgust important? When are they all melded together? I want to see more of the world they created. I have a question actually leading yeah. from this discussion. So I think one of the things, obviously we're both two people of color, how could we use this framework to think about the way racism and classism affect people's lives? One of the one of the great things about this movie is that it's such a great way to discuss mental health with yeah. kids, right? So right. the idea that you can boil it down to sort of five little guys in your brain and you can say, <laughs> well, what are you feeling now? Who is controlling it? Or what combination of things are controlling your emotions? Yeah. And one of the things that it, the movie is depicting in Riley is kind of is depression or like some sort of depressed and anxious state where yeah. her brain completely shuts down. So one of the things it's saying is that, hey, like sometimes when something really bad happens and you're feeling bad, you're not yourself. Like something happens to you um, that changes you. And and I guess it's like, is the schema appropriate for people who experience a kind of oppression or a kind of sadness that is not linked to anything that they themselves can get over by, you know, going and making new friends or sort of having Mm. a more positive outlook? Well, I think... Well, I guess it is probably an okay schema. I mean, it's just that the narrative would just not be as satisfying, unfortunately. The resolution just won't be as fairy tale. you know? I'm not saying that the resolution is fairy tale in this movie necessarily, but it would just be more depressing. It would be more of a deal-with-it narrative than a... (laughs) Well, things have now improved and you're back, you found a new home. Or maybe an empowering narrative. Like, I think one of the things about this movie is it really opens doors for a way to talk about it. And our narratives would very much have a, hey, look, there are things that get you down sometimes, but we have this, like, resilience emotion that um, kicks in and helps us (laughs) deal with the stuff that we can't change, you know? Actually, do you reckon there'll be other emotions apart from these five? What I think what's really smart about the movie is I think they've thought about that a lot. For example, resilience would be a mixture of, like, anger, sadness, 
disgust and joy. Sometimes when I bring up these criticisms about yeah. like, okay, well, what if there was a race consciousness, for example, yeah, in yeah. this movie? I yeah. feel like I, I read too many comment sections because there's this like voice in my head that's like, why do you have to spoil this great movie with your like race politics oh, or something? That, that's, that's, our, that's, our, that's a podcast though. <laughs> Is there room to talk about this stuff? I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean, especially when a film doesn't really provide much in its content with which to discuss, say, race or sexuality. Right. When, it, when A, it's a wonderful film, and B, when it's not overtly saying anything particularly racist or anything, it just ends up you being like, hey, I, I wish they could have dealt with this, which I feel all the time. It's one thing to criticize a movie for not being something. It's another to wonder about what a film could have been if it had dealt with something else. It's just, it's hypothetical, you know? Yeah, totally. I've got a question for you. The narrative of the movie comes about when, for some reason, there's like this tube that sucks memories out into the, into the peripheries where it's stored in long-term memory. When sadness and joy get sucked out and they're trying to find the way back in, what is the process by which that happens? I mean, did it seem like it was just convenient that they just find a way to suck joy and sadness out and put them in the middle of the brain somewhere? I can't give you any answers because I was yeah. also confused. I really like the idea that sometimes joy and sadness are maybe shut down in your brain and kids go into a cycle where right. they're ruled by certain emotions that aren't exactly helpful. But then I yeah. thought it was weird that the joy and sadness were sucked out because of an accident and not not say something that routinely happens. I mean, I'm a teacher and I come into contact with a lot of kids and eventually you start to realize that most people are decent people and most people are, you're able to empathize with them. But sometimes kids just have, after say years of being yelled at by authority figures they just have an automatic reaction towards you and i think yeah. that was one thing that the mo the movie was trying to address right that sometimes this emotion kicks in and you can't control it and you do things that you don't even know why you're doing it right it doesn't solve yeah. any problems it's not logical lastly bing bong what do you think about bing bong because he's a big character in the movie as someone who <laughs> never really had a imaginary friends <laughs> yeah i thought he was a really cool addition yeah. i guess i really didn't have many <laughs> thoughts about him i'm just thinking about it i, I really enjoyed him while he was there i thought yeah. he was really funny but yeah. i didn't i guess have any moments where i was like oh yeah that's what i felt when i had my imaginary elephant cat thing this is me just nitpicking the the construction of the brain in this in, the, in this movie um i was thinking if bing bong existed you know, where would he be? Would he be in the subconscious? You know, where the clown is, just deep in the dark, where, you know, for some reason the kid decides to concoct this friend and then it just disappears, you know, it just goes away. Would he be walking around in long-term memory? Would he be, where would he be exactly? Would he not even exist anymore? Um, yeah, we should probably call this podcast Overthinking Everything because I feel like, <laughs> I feel like we're looking for answers where there just aren't any yeah, um, yeah, yeah when my actual reaction to the movie was like wow this is gorgeous and amazing and beautiful but it's funny how when we talk about it i feel like my response is so much more so much more muted than it actually was in watching it where else do you go apart from talking about you know what the movie is really about which is actually quite complicated it's pretty on the surface but has a lot on its mind yeah you know? and i do think one of the things about the movie is it really makes you think about how emotions work within us and how it could be applied to our lives like I think where I'm coming from now is definitely about sort of well how can I make this work for me and that's pretty cool that a movie mm. can make you want to do that even I agree I like this movie <laughs>
And I think I might like it more when I watch it again. We should do like a re review. We should do it of all the movies we've seen, especially Love and Tura. God, no, please. <laughs> so that's all for Minority Retort this week. You can find us online at minorityretortpodcast.com and definitely email us with your opinions at minorityretortpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on SoundCloud and on the iTunes store. Bye, we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye.